There's something special about that song, isn't there? In fact, I remember, uh, Turk, the week that it came out, we were getting lunch, and you told me about that song, you said there's something different about that song, there's something special uh, about it, and I would say that that song, the bridge of that song, preaches this sermon better than I ever could. And so my job today is to, to talk for a, a couple of minutes and then I'm just gonna get out of the way and we're just gonna keep singing it because this is a room full of kingdom builders and what kingdom builders do is we are very generous with our blessing. What kingdom builders do is we are very generous in how we speak life over people. And I know um, that that's what, what you want to do and so welcome to church. This is week two of our series, Kingdom Builders. If you were here last week, this guy named Craig Rochelle uh, preached week number one. Uh, so I don't know how your Sunday is going, but my job today is to follow up one of the best communicators in the world. So that's fun. A little insecure about that, but you know, whatever, it's just Craig. It's just Craig. Now we love that guy to death. So thankful for him. This is a series um, that's so important because we live in a world that yells at us, that shouts at us to try to build our own kingdom. And yet 2,000 years ago, this, this Jewish rabbi named Jesus gave us an invitation to be a part of something much bigger, to, to stop trying to build our own kingdom and start building the kingdom of heaven. And if you're new to all of this, can I just say there is no greater purpose in life than to get our eyes off of ourselves and build something that is far greater than our but if we're being honest, it's not always easy to remember that we're here to be kingdom builders, right? Uh, like if you're anything like me, you leave this place and you're all fired up uh, about it, but then life happens and before long with all the stresses of work, it doesn't take long for us to just start thinking about ourselves. And so today, just very, very practically, I wanna talk about the mindset of a kingdom builder. And I wanna give us a very practical way that when we stop thinking about the kingdom and start thinking about ourselves, because it happens to all of us, that we can just pause, turn, and get our face, get our, get our mindset back to building the kingdom. If you remember in, in Craig's talk, um, there was a, a moment where he just briefly touched on uh, two cycles. He called one the cycle of scarcity and the other the cycle of supply. And I, uh, I had a different sermon planned out for today, but I was sitting over there watching the sermon and I just thought, man, that is so important and so good. In fact, we should spend an entire week diving deeper into what it looks like to have a, a mindset, not of scarcity, but of abundance what it looks like to make that shift from scarcity to abundance or in honor of Thanksgiving, what we're gonna call it today, to go from a famine mindset to a feast mindset. Matt, you see what I, what I did there? Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Famine mindset is, hey, I know that, that God is the, the creator of the world and he has me in the palm of my hands, but I still feel like I have to compete. I still feel like there's not enough for me, so I have to earn my place. Versus a, a, a feast mindset that says, no, God is a good God and he calls me his son. He calls me his daughter, which means I don't have to earn my right to be here. I don't have to behave to belong. I just already belong so I can expend my energy blessing other people. It's the mindset of a kingdom builder. So to help for today, we're gonna look at one story. It's a conversation between two people, one person who has a, a famine mindset and the other person who has a feast mindset. 
because this, this person with the, the feast mindset, he says one line. It's one verse. It's quickly becoming one of my favorite verses in the, the Bible. And I think it is the secret to getting our minds off of the famine mindset and into the feast. And so I'm just gonna preach on that one verse as best as I know how for a few minutes because we're gonna walk out of here changed and ready to build the kingdom. You've heard this story before. It's a familiar story, but we're gonna look at it from an unfamiliar angle. It's the prodigal son story. But, but we're not gonna focus on the prodigal son. We're gonna focus on the prodigal son's older brother. Do you guys know that the, the prodigal son has an older brother? We'll call him Doug for, for our purposes Oh, I'm kidding. He's not here to defend himself. That's a cheap shot, right? So, so you guys know the story. The son runs off and, and he uh, squanders all of his father's money and he comes back with, with his head down and he feels like he's just gonna be a servant the rest of his life. But while he's a long way off, the father sees him and runs to him and embraces him and throws him a party. And that story is the heartbeat of this church. And we will never stop preaching that we are just a bunch of imperfect people all trying to pursue a perfect God, which means no matter how you found yourself today as you walked into this room, you are welcome here and you have a loving father who says, hey, come home, it's time to party, it's time to celebrate. If you're watching online, that goes for you too. Today, we're gonna focus on the older brother's response to that moment. We'll pick the story up in Luke 15, verse 25. It says this, meanwhile, The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. I can just see the the servant running out so excited. Your brother has come home, he replied. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. It's a Friday night is how I picture it, my my imagination, I don't know. And there's dancing going on, there's food, it's time to celebrate. But the older brother can't wrap his mind around it. In fact, it says he became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered him, look, watch, this is the, the famine mindset that I'm talking about. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet, You never gave me even a young goat so I could go celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? And let's look at the the feast mentality response of of the father. The father says this. This is my favorite, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Luke 15, 31. My son, the father says, you are always with me. Everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I want us to get Luke 15, 31 into our, into our hearts, into our spirits to, today. Let's go back to it. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. My son, my daughter, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. So I'm just going to title this sermon, Feast or Famine? Feast or Famine? Father, would you help us today? Would you help us to understand Luke 15, 31, your truth, that we are your sons, that we are your daughters. You are always with us and everything you have 
is ours. Would that truth sink deeper into our souls today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, this is one of those sermons that we need to hear all the time, but especially in a year like 2020. This year has done everything that it can to try to get our minds off the kingdom and back onto ourselves, right? Do you remember when when everything originally shut down, when we got that initial stay-at-home order? I was over at Doug's, and it was a a Monday night, and we found out that, hey, tomorrow at midnight, uh, the stay-at-home order begins. And so we're looking at each other like, well, we want to have church service ready for people for the next few weeks. And so I guess we have 24 hours to uh, write and record and film three services, which uh, if you've ever tried to do that, it's a very difficult thing to do. So we get Ethan on the phone and we're like, okay, man, here, here's what we're gonna do. Let's, let's get to writing. And we call Emily because she has to get a band together and put together like three different sets that match up with the sermons that we're given that we don't have yet. So she's scrambling to do that. Paul's trying to get his, his production team ready to go. Our creative team, which is just such an amazing group of, of volunteers, like they make graphics for all of our series and they make all of our slides. And so we're calling them like, we got a couple hours, let's make this happen. The video team that had uh, been in this place for two services up to that that point, we, we call them and we're like, well, tomorrow we're going to do three services. So I hope you're ready to roll. And I drank too much Red Bull backstage before my sermon. And so I was up here like shaking and trying to put thoughts together. And everyone was looking at me like, what's wrong with Ryan? Is that guy? Okay. It was one of the longest days of ministry I've ever been a part of. The fruit that came from it, though, was uh, amazing. We heard all of these stories for the next few weeks about people going through a really tough time that, that got to watch the, the services. But it was one of the hardest days of ministry of my life. But if I'm being honest, I haven't shared this with anybody before except the 9 o'clock. So now, welcome to the party. The whole time, I actually had something else going on in my mind. Because I take kingdom stuff really seriously. Like, I love life change. I take that very serious. But there's something else I take serious as well. I also take breakfast very seriously. Those of you who who know me well can attest to this. My morning routine is super important to me, and breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Guys, that one's for free. Don't forget that. And so if you remember, during these days, uh, there was a shortage of dairy products, right? And so the last few times I'd been to the store, there hadn't been any eggs, and you can't have a good breakfast without eggs. So, so during the longest day of ministry of my life, we stay up late all, almost, almost all night writing these sermons, sleep for a few hours, and then everybody comes to the church super early to get all set up. I had something else on my mind. I left the house at 5.30 because I knew HEB opened up at 6, and I wanted to be the first in line so I could make sure I had breakfast for the next few weeks. And so we have a, a group text, uh, our, our staff, and we use, uh, we use it mostly just to send funny memes to, to each other. But on like serious ministry days like this, when we're all nervous, like we were always like using it to fire each other up. So Samantha's sending us like prayers and Emily's sending us like Bible verses. And I'm just sitting in this line at HEB like, yeah, 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 same, same, same. I just, I'll be there in a sec. I gotta, I gotta take care of something, right? So six o'clock rolls around, the doors open, 
I'm like scoping out the competition, you know, like that guy, he's, he's a threat, but I can beat him to the, to the eggs, no problem. And I'm gonna like make a beeline back to the very far back because that's where they always keep the breakfast stuff. I think that's wrong, by the way. Never sermon for another day. All right, so, so I'm running back to the, the breakfast uh, section and, and um, I, I turn the corner and this, this is a true story. I see the, the, the fridge with the eggs and there is a couple left, but there is a couple, it's a terrible story, an older couple, the man is in one of those motorized like carts, you know, heading toward the eggs and his wife is walking alongside of him. And they're too close to like do that, like, excuse me, I'm just coming, coming around and then, and then going there, like I'll look like a jerk. So I just have to sit like socially distanced back while, while they make their way. There's a sign on the fridge that says two limit two per customer, right? So I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I can get at least 24. You know, like, I would never steal. You guys gotta know that. Like, I'm a pastor, I would never steal. But I did think, like, maybe I can slip somebody a $20 bill if they're not getting eggs, and they can, I can, like, meet them in the parking lot later, right? Like, I'm, like, going crazy trying to scheme my breakfast for the next few weeks, and this couple is just taking their time, and they grab a dozen eggs, and they put it in their cart, and then the wife reaches for the second dozen, and the husband goes, hey, uh, we don't need that. And she's like, no, it's okay. It says that we can take two. And I'm back here like about to lose my mind, just so worried about breakfast. And the husband, I'm serious, he says this. He goes, hey, we'll be fine with one. Let's leave that for another family that might need it. And I have one of those moments where I'm just like, I'm doing that thing again, aren't I? I'm doing that like scarcity mindset thing again, aren't I? Like I have a, a heavenly father who says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And all I can think about is like this very primal part of my brain that, that just sees the rest of the world as competition, right? That, that I need to be because I gotta get mine, right? And, and so I have this moment where I'm like breaking down in H-E-B and I'm like, God, I'm so sorry, right? I, I, I'm I like, forget it, I'll just take one dozen and I'm like crying, you know, and the guy's like going off in his cart looking at me like, what's wrong with, with, with this guy? But I have this moment where I go, hey, I'm doing that thing again. Uh, I'm thinking famine mindset. I gotta get back to remembering that um, this whole pandemic thing is a lot bigger than just me and my breakfast, right? We're going to be okay, but we're all in this together, and so let's relax, and let's be on a team here. Well, this is the problem that the older brother is facing, isn't it? Uh, like, the younger son is home. This should be reason for celebration, but, but because of the older brother's mindset, that famine mentality, he thinks this whole world is a giant competition, and, and by the way, if it is a competition, he's been winning it. He's been crushing it. He's doing so much better than his little brother. So, so, of course, his little brother comes home, and he's expecting, like, let's give him the talk, let's ground him for a year, and let's make him work, right, and pay back this whole debt. So when his father's just like, no, 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 clean slate, we're throwing him a party, the older brother can't wrap his mind around it. This is what the famine mindset does to us. In fact, let's break it down like this, I'm gonna show you two different cycles, the, the feast cycle and the famine cycle. 
By the way, when you preach the week after the best communicator in the world, here's a tip for you. Just take his exact idea and change a few of the words. That's, what, that's all that this is, right? So, so the feast mentality says, hey, I already belong. I belong, and so I'm good. But the famine mentality, the older brother's thinking, is I have to behave in order to belong. Father may not love me unless I behave well enough so I better get it together and I better outperform everybody else. That's why I love it when, when he runs up to his father and he's like, why, why are we throwing a party? What does the father say? My son, you're always with me. You already belong. Everything I have is yours. This is the gospel message. And yet it's so hard for us, myself included, to remember it sometimes. And we always tend to move over to that behave section. And then like we read in Ephesians 2 where Paul's like, hey, you've been saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift. Even that faith that you have is a free gift so that nobody may boast. But, but we just go, yeah, but like I kind of want to earn it, you know? Like, like I feel like I kind of got to like string together a few good days before I can accept that free gift. And yet all throughout the Bible, God's giving us this invitation to just realize that we already belong. See, the, the problem with thinking that we have to behave before we can belong, the very, the very um, obvious problem is it, it works for a few days, right? Works for a few days, but we will all have a bad day eventually. That's why we say all the time we're a bunch of imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. And so when we're doing well, okay, great. But when we mess up, when we slip up, when we fall short, we'll start to feel like, well, I couldn't behave well enough to belong, so I guess I don't belong. And we'll end up like that, that younger son who, who's walking back to his house just like, I don't even know if I can face my dad right now because I thought I had to behave to belong. But then there's a less obvious danger to, to thinking we have to behave to belong as well. If... We just do a really good job and, and we're like living life the way that we're supposed to, to a T, then at best, we end up like the older brother, right? We end up like the older brother who thinks, well, I'm doing pretty good at behaving, so I think I deserve to belong more than those other people, Right? It's a trap that we fall into when we think we have to behave in order to belong, which is why Jesus' whole message is, no, let me take the sin for you so that you can go free. Let me take the sin for you so that you can belong. Let's start from a place of belonging. Not clean yourself up before, before you come to, to me. No, you just are. You are my son. You are my daughter. Everything I have is yours. Are you starting to see how Luke 15, 31 moves us from this famine mentality to this feast mentality? A great way, by, by the way, that I've just, this is just one way practically um, that I've been noticing when I'm moving back into starting to think famine mentality. It, it's when I'm always in a hurry, when I'm always rushed. John Mark Comer wrote a, a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry last year, and I've bought it like eight times for different people. I just keep giving it away. It's, in, it's insane. It's one of the most convicting books of all time because this is what we do. He calls it sickness hurry. And, and, and he points out like, hey, 
maybe the reason that we're always in a rush is because we think we have to get somewhere fast in order to pay our dues so that we can behave well enough so that maybe God will accept us. I remember when I was eight years old, baseball was life to me. Doug and I loved baseball. If an alien landed on Earth and walked into our room, they would probably just assume that we thought Ken Griffey Jr. was a god because we had, like, cardboard cutout of Ken Griffey Jr. We had all the posters on the wall. We had all of the cards. I had a signed baseball that my dad got me that year for my, my birthday. We loved baseball, which means Saturday were by far the most important day of the week for us because that was game day. Well, one Saturday when I was eight, I misplaced my cleats because when I was eight, I wasn't good at keeping track of things. Now I'm 30, and I still can't do that, but maybe when I'm 40, I don't know. Um, so I misplaced my cleats, and I can't find them anywhere. I finally find them, and we're running late, so my dad and I jump in the car. I'm like, Dad, we gotta go, right? And, and the speed limit's 45, and so he's driving 45, and I go, Dad, you could drive 55 right now, like, and we probably won't get pulled over. And uh, he just looks at me, and he goes, Hey, you're probably right. And if we do that, you'll get to your baseball game about 15 seconds earlier than if we just drive the speed limit. I'll never forget it. He goes, hey, um, there will be a few moments in your life where you need to do that. And then he says, this is not one of those moments. <laughs> and I'm like so mad as an eight-year-old. He's like, just chill out, right? It's fine. This is a baseball game. Don't, don't worry about it. I was laughing with Doug this week because he had one of those moments on Tuesday night uh, as he drove Samantha to the hospital where you break the law because 15 seconds matters. Uh, but that's his story, so I'll let him tell that uh, another week. The point is we will have a few moments in our life where we're supposed to be in a hurry. The problem is we spend like all of our days in a hurry and in a rush, right? Like what is that? That's that, that famine mentality. I'm convinced that 100 years from now we'll be in heaven reflecting back on our life and we'll just be laughing together like, hey, why were we all in such a hurry? Like where were we trying to get? We belonged the whole time. We should have just enjoyed the journey as we went. So now every time I feel myself getting rushed, like no condemnation, that's famine mentality stuff. No condemnation. I just stop and I go, I'm, I'm doing that thing again, aren't I? My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. I take a deep breath and I make that shift back from famine to feast. Mindset of a kingdom builder. Let's keep going. The next thing I would say that happens in the famine mentality is we think we have to behave in order to belong. And so from there, naturally, we just start competing. We start competing for our spot instead of celebrating. You remember the, the game Musical Chairs? It was uh, like a game you would play when you were growing up in elementary school. I don't know, maybe, maybe you still play it today. I don't know what your Friday night looks like. It's great if you, if you do. The, the, the premise of musical chairs is there's always, there's never quite enough chairs, right? So you have to make sure that you get your seat at the table. It's a fun party game. This isn't like an indictment on musical chairs. It's fun. If you want to play it, that, that's great. Fun party game, but it's not how the kingdom of heaven works. The premise of musical chairs is there's never enough chairs, so you need to make sure you get yours. In the kingdom of heaven, 
we always have enough chairs for everybody. And so we don't have to compete for our chairs. We don't have to compete with one another. We just get to enjoy the fact that we all belong. And then we can celebrate one another. Like, like, like playing musical chairs in heaven is going to be very boring. Because it's just like, well, we all, we all win all, all the time. You know, like there's more than enough room at the table. But the older brother can't wrap his mind around that. He, he thinks he's still competing for his father's love. So his brother coming home to him is actually a threat. Man, I, I, I tell you, you want to talk about um, forgiveness and letting go of bitterness. It's a very difficult part of the Christian journey of learning how to be like Jesus. I can't tell you how, how much this has been a game changer for me in my life and in coffee meetings that I've had with people as they're working to forgive. Like, like I've just sat in a lot of coffee meetings where they're just like, I'm trying so hard to forgive. I don't want to, but I'm, I'm, I'm like trying, I really want to be like Jesus, so I'm trying so hard to let go of this bitterness. And back in the day, I'd be like, I know, try harder, <laughs> you know. These days, I just... Hey, you're God's son, you're God's daughter. He's always with you. Everything he has is yours. And all of a sudden, that, that part in us that feels like we need to compete because we have to earn our place just starts to wash away and forgiveness just starts becoming as natural as like breathing, you know? Hey, I'll tell you an easy way to, to notice where you're sh- when you're shifting back into the famine mentality where you're competing instead of celebrating for people. It's when you say this. I know it's when you think this. I know we're all too holy to actually say it. It's when you think, I hope my old blank fails. I hope my old company the, the, the one that I help so much with but that I'm not with anymore. I hope they go down because then they'll know how much they needed me. And I know we would never say this. I'm talking about that, that deep part in your soul that thinks things like these. My, my old relationship. I hope my ex, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, is just having a bad day. I hope they're not doing great because then they're gonna realize what they're missing, Right? I know this is intense, but it's, it's what we do. We do it to try to validate ourselves. Or if you want to get real deep, I hope my old church isn't doing so good. It's what we do. It's the opposite of the kingdom mindset. But at some deep level, we think, man, if they just know that without me, they're not doing as well, then at some level, I feel like I've earned my seat at the table. And may I just tell you, man, when we make the shift from famine to feast, all of a sudden, we learn how to celebrate. We learn how to celebrate and speak life over people. We learn how to, to forgive. We learn how to let go of bitterness. We learn how, how to realize that anytime any church in Austin, in Texas, in, in the United States, in the world is winning, it's a kingdom win. I'm telling you, this is the mindset of kingdom builders. We don't compete, we celebrate. But it all starts with realizing that we belong. So let's do the last one. I'll end here. Uh, from there, just, just naturally, when we're trying to behave to belong, we end up competing. And then every time we, we um, serve or we give, it's because we're trying to get something as opposed to just giving freely because we realize that we already belong. I, I wrote like 
four different versions of this talk because this mindset shift is everywhere in the Gospels. Like Jesus is constantly inviting people to think bigger uh, about all of this. But I'll give you one just real quick. Luke 19, this wee little man named Zacchaeus climbs up into a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus is a tax collector and he's stealing money from people. So not only is he a traitor, he's also immoral while he is being a traitor. And yet Jesus locks eyes with him. He looks him in the eye and he says, Zacchaeus, I, you're, you're known. You, you belong. Let's go to your house. Let's go have a meal. Let's sit down at the table together. In other words, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And man, when Zacchaeus gets it, it's like this beautiful shift in the Bible where he comes down and he just, he just, he just starts giving everything he has away. He's like, half of, half of my possessions, let's start there. Give that away and give it to the poor. And then he starts paying back everybody that he's wronged, everybody that he's steal, stolen money from. He starts paying them back four times. They'd be like, Spencer, I, I stole $100 from you. I'm sorry. Here's $400, you know? And Spencer would be like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't have to give me $400, but that's great, right? And it's just like this amazing shift of generosity that happens as soon as Zacchaeus moves from the famine. I have to, I have to compete to get mine to the feast. I already belong. And so now I can just celebrate people, and now I can just give freely, we want to be a, a, a church that understands this feast mindset, that we already belong, which means that we can celebrate and we can give. Last week, uh, Craig talked about giving of our finances, but it's more than that. It's not just our treasure. It's also our talent, right? It's using the gifts that God ha has given us to, to um, make heaven more crowded. This room right now, is full of story after story of person who has understood this. Like, like men and women who have, have grasped this, and I've watched them over the last few years just start to use the gifts that they have to just freely give. Chrissy Davis is, is here all of the time just praying over these seats. We walk in and she's just here praying, not because she wants to get anything from it, but just because she understands that it's a gift that God's given her. And so she's just going to be praying for the people who aren't even here yet. And I can't uh, imagine that the multiplication effect that, that starts to happen when we start to understand this kingdom mindset, like the life change that has happened because of those prayers, we won't know on this side of eternity. But that's what starts to happen when we start to use our gifts and just freely give them away. This summer, Tyler Warner and Chris Robe came up to me and they said, hey, Ryan, you know how you're always like struggling to find group leaders? I said, Yeah. I said, well, what if we uh, use the gift that God's given us to, to lead a special kind of group? This one will be called a leader group. I was like, what's a leader group? All right, well, well, we'll just get a bunch of people together who could be leaders, potential leaders who want to lead but don't know how yet. And then we'll just spend the entire summer just training them up and giving them opportunities to lead. And I said, yeah, yeah, I was, I was kind of thinking the same thing the other day. That's not what I said. I've been at this for a long time. I've never thought to do that. Never in, in a million years would I, would I think to do that. It's brilliant. So I'm like, yeah, absolutely, go do it. 
And so they do that this summer and then this fall, everyone who was in that group now leads a group this fall and they're nearing the end of their first semester of leading a group. The multiplication that happens when we start to understand that we can use the gifts that God has given us to just give them away freely. I don't even know all of the stories that have come from the groups that have met this fall. We could tell stories all day long, but let's just tell one. A guy named Sang. Sang was in that group, and we decided that instead of me telling Sang's story, we should let Sang tell Sang's story. So check this out. All right, Sang, you found yourself in Austin for a job. Is that right? I moved out here in August of 2016. I didn't know anybody. Lived on my own for a year and a half, two years. I basically lost all hope in myself and confidence. Like, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I didn't know how I was gonna get out of all of this debt that I put myself in. Trying to figure out what it is that I need to do to keep moving forward, it, I had no idea. I was sitting at the top of the garage one day, smoking weed, trying to get the high to get all of this out of my head, and sitting at, at the top of the garage, just looking over the edge, just turned to God at that point. Like, what do I do? Tell me what I need to do. Show me what I need to do. And I was bawling my eyes out, tearing up, because I was just over it. A week later, I go on Google searching for churches. It's Religion Rehab Week 2. The hardest message I've ever heard in my life. And it hit me hard. I ended up bawling my eyes out at the end of service during worship, sitting in the back row so nobody could see me. And then there was this woman sitting right next to me. She puts her hand on my shoulder and she starts praying over me. I had no idea what was happening because I was just still emotional from everything prior. I want just to hear a little more from you about like that shift in you from going from like sitting in the back thinking like, yeah, I guess I like being here to this is so important to me that this is our message that we're going to get out and you faithfully doing whatever you can to help that. What, what shifted that in you? I think it was just a longing for longing for family because I was here alone. I just said to myself, like, let's give volunteering a try because I was never the type of person to like, give up my time for anybody else. Taking photography for church was a very different vibe for me and I enjoyed it more because it was more purposeful. That leading into videography where we are now that's even more purposeful because we're reaching thousands and thousands of more people around the world. I think it's so cool seeing all these pieces come together and how we each find purpose within the family. Seeing you right back there on that camera every single week, I think for a lot of, a lot of times it feels as a person who's filling a role or serving in a place in a church, like, yeah, I'm just doing this one part, but how important is it? But because you're faithfully standing there every single week, more and more people who are sitting in their homes, who are watching on a screen somewhere, uh, they find a family here, they experience God here, they might be where you once were. 
it's amazing. I, I guess I want your perspective on how it feels to see you like from the other side now, looking back on yourself sitting on top of a parking garage, not thinking there was a whole lot of purpose to your life. And now you are a part of reaching person after person after person with the only real thing that they have to put hope in, the only thing that shows you the actual worth and purpose of your life, which is Jesus, and that he's choosing to use you to your full capacity. How does that feel? It honestly feels really good because I think that is my purpose. I think that's what he wants me to do is to just tell my story, to reach out to other folks that could be on the verge of suicide, feeling lost, not knowing what they're meant to do or what to do. I am grateful for this church, this family, which is why I faithfully given all of my time, as much as my time as I can to this church to do what I can to get our message out. But tell me real quick about your rock climbing group, which is kind of like your core family. Um, you went from a guy who's like, oh, I got nothing to lose, I like rock climbing, I'll go climb with these Christians. <laughs> You're leading the group now. So how I did am. that happen? I am, okay. So how did we let that happen? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> <You're> kidding. <laughs> the wall brings out the realist in people. It honestly does. And once they get to the top and they climb back down, it's like they just conquered the world almost. So when I'm on the wall, the world just disappears from my head. You showing up to this place, it was kind of the same thing you're talking about with rock climbing, where it's like, hey, you're walking in with fear, doubt, anxiety, feel alone, the world is caving in on you. And it's like, hey, just try this. Just start climbing. It's gonna be hard. In some ways it's gonna hurt, but in some really good ways. I see like this climb you've been making and anxiety lifting off of you and fear lifting off of you and loneliness lifting off of you, depression lifting off of you as God has more and more of a chance on this wall with you to, uh, to have you climbing towards Him. And obviously it's not over, it's just getting started, but how would you sum up the journey that God's had you on since you walked into this place? Keep on climbing. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Like, just keep going. Because you never know what's, what you're gonna find at the end. And it's a good feeling. We make some noise for Sang. <laughs> Sang. Guys, he was on camera two this morning, and then we didn't have enough volunteers, so he just moved over to camera three, so he's just hanging out right here, saying, we love you so much, man. Someone who's made the shift from famine to feast, and his life has just gotten really fun. God's using him in so many crazy ways and saying, I'll tell you this, God's just getting started in your life, and I can't wait to see what's Next, that story is so much bigger. If we had more time, we could share about how one of the first times he came to Red Rocks, this guy named Ed Long, who just has this gift for welcoming people and remembering names, just remembered who he was and, and pulled him aside and said, hey, I'm gonna see you here next week, right? And then had him over to his backyard to, to eat some steak and talk about life and all the different people in this room that are a part of that story. I'm telling you guys, when we get the shift from famine to feast, life just gets really, really fun. We're going to keep telling these stories as we head into the new year, and I can't wait to, to see the story that God is going to write through your life, your kingdom builder, stepping into to feast, not famine. 
just getting started. I'll end here. Uh, on Wednesday night, I was at the coffee shop working on this talk and started getting a little anxious, started to panic a little, which happens to me sometimes, and couldn't quite get the, the sermon to the place that I wanted it to be. And it was late, and I, I, I just stopped and uh, put it down, and I turned on this song, The Blessing, and I did something that I, I, if I'm being honest, just haven't been doing enough of lately. I just started praying blessings over every single person in the coffee shop. Not like weird. I didn't go up to them. You know, I didn't like put my hand on it and like stare at them while I was praying for them. Just to myself, right? I, just headphones on, eyes closed. I just started praying for that guy over in the corner who's working uh, on something and just asking God, God, would you bless whatever project he's working on right now? Would you give him wisdom? Would you give him vision for the future? Would you open doors for him with that project? the couple over in the other corner that, that was on a, a date. Lord, would you bless that relationship? Would you be there with them? Lord, the baristas who, who are just so good at what they do. I'm so, if you're a barista, Danny, anyone who's a barista, thank you for, for what you do. But God, would you give, would you, would you just bless them? Would, you, would your hand be upon them? Would you be with their families, Lord? Would you, would you bring healing and restoration to any relationships that need it? Father, would you provide for them financially? And then uh, I start thinking about my own family. I start praying for Doug. Start praying for Sam. Start praying for Will. Start praying for little Kinsley, who was like 18 hours old at the time, which is just so crazy. God, would you stay with her? God, would you bless her? God, would you go before her and beside her? And would you follow her all the days of her life like a good shepherd and would favor be on her life, Lord, and raise her up to do incredible things for your kingdom? And I tell you what happened, man, is about 10 minutes in, everything just started changing in my, my, my heart. I can't really explain it, but, but the panic and the worry was, was, was a long, long ways away, and I was just at peace. That I just realized, man, like, like that's, that's what I'm trying to communicate on Sunday. How can we just be a church that's generous with our blessings? Because we know that we already belong, and so let's just give it all away. And so I want to give us an opportunity to do that this morning. We're going to keep singing this, the bridge of this song, the blessing. And usually when we worship, it's about you and God. And that's uh, amazing. But for this time, just for this song, I want to invite you to focus your attention onto somebody else. And as you sing, I want you to sing for somebody else. It can be somebody else that's in this room, maybe sitting next to you, maybe um, somebody in your family, maybe a friend, maybe somebody you haven't talked to in a long, long time. Maybe somebody that's hard to love. Maybe somebody you're holding on to some bitterness towards, some, some resentment toward. Man, just for this song, would you just bless them? Would you just ask that God's favor would be upon them, that he would go before them, that, that, that he would, would bring them, just wish them well. And just see what happens. Just watch what happens in your soul as we move from the famine mentality to the feast mentality. I'm telling you, there is no better way to do that than to just start being generous with our blessing. Just start being generous with how we speak life over people and sing for people and pray for people. So would you guys stand up to your feet with me?